Welcome to the Florida Teacher Leaders Fellowship podcast number one. I'm Stephen Kaplan, Florida Teacher Leader Fellowship alum, and I'm here today with Daryl Pauling. One of the required elements of our fellowship process was to create a value creation story about how we were transformed by the experience. As I reflected on my own journey as a fellow, what stood out to me was the transformation that occurred in my ability to learn by listening. Hence the reason for this podcast. The hope is that you may find some value and inspiration to continue the work of being a leader in education, which naturally all teachers are, by listening to our experiences. The podcast is structured to allow each of my guests to tell their stories. I'm always amazed at what I learn from these people. So let me welcome Daryl Pauling. Hi, Daryl. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Um, so, Daryl, please tell us a little bit about who you are, where you work, uh, and what brought you to the fellowship. Um, goodness, uh, it, it's amazing when you start talking to someone about your, your life story and the things that you do, and you have to summarize it. Uh, it, it it's, a, if, it's a different beast or animal to sometimes look at. Um, I'm a former math teacher, um, former uh, special education teacher. Uh, I've been teaching, gosh, I lose count, but I've been in education at least for 15 years, uh, working with um, all children of um, all talent. And it has been a great journey. Uh, this journey for me and the fellows program began with the opportunity um, from my principal who um, told me that she thought that I needed to um, give this a try and to compare yourself with other educators who believe that they're great too at what they do and how how are they an asset not only to the classroom but also to their community. Um, I had already uh, started to make a lot of uh, headway um, in my classroom um, doing some good work working with kids who didn't think they could take advanced classes. Um, also helping um, African-Americans and really boys of color, helping them to understand that they could take higher level uh, classes and getting them past the EOCs. And then also doing some work in the community with the uh, City of Delray Education Board. So I understood as a African-American male myself that it is difficult to transcend some things, but through hard work and perseverance, those things can take place. It's just a matter of, you know, intrinsically, what do you want to do? Yeah. So it sounds like you had an opportunity to really have some success as a teacher and feel successful with your students. But I also know for, for you, teacher leadership was something a little bit different, right? Yes. So talk a little bit about that. Uh, teacher leadership, um, goodness, when I first started the program, I was in the classroom. Um, I had an average of anywhere between 120 to 130 students teaching a 90-minute block. So my impact with working with kids, to me, was the utmost importance, especially in the field of mathematics where a lot of kids, they struggle, and it becomes harder for, for them, it seems, the higher they get, you know, from middle school to high school. But um, afforded the opportunity to be in the fellows program 
things changed last year um, in late October or beginning of October. Um, the position for the um, IB coordinator um, came up and also an opportunity to work hand in hand with the MSAT grant, um, which is the Magnet Schools Assistance Program grant. And that grant by itself was to be impactful to the school. Well, I had already said to myself that it was time for me to transition out of the classroom. Um, being at one school for nine years, understanding the clientele, understanding the community, um, it was starting to get to the point where I would teach a set of kids and now I was teaching their siblings. So that's when you know you've been in education for a period of time. So I just decided, Steve, I said, look, if you're going to make the move, make the move. I did not know if I wanted to become an assistant principal or principal just yet. I didn't know if I wanted to go that high up. But I wanted to have a hands-on approach with working with kids and making a, an impact that would reach not only inside the school, but outside the school. And being an IB coordinator would afford me that opportunity. Little did I know, Steve, that sometimes your plan is not your plan. It just doesn't work like that. So, Steve, to, to put it in a nutshell, I took over the position um, towards the end of October. Immediately, I was thrust into communicating with parents on a frequent basis, going to a bunch of SAC meetings, going to um, some group sessions of parents to express to them the changes that were taking place and what I was planning to do with the program and also work along with uh, Ms. Prophet, um, who is the principal of Carver Middle School. And once I started doing that, the dynamics of the fellowship for me started to change. Um, everything dealing with the uh, research, that changed. Um, I was no longer a classroom teacher, so I had to trust the teachers that I was working with prior to run the research and to give me the data that I needed while every other month I was going out of town, going to conferences, meeting with people not only early in the morning, but also late in the evenings. So leadership for me uh, really was impactful on me. What I thought it was, wasn't. And it became to be, uh, at times a little bit frustrating. So let's talk a little bit about that. What did you think leadership was going to be before you got started? I thought it was the yellow brick road. I thought it was like the Wizard of Oz, okay? You you get you work hard, you get to the end and you get this aha moment. And it is a continuous process of change. It is nothing um, let's just put it in a nutshell. Many a call, few answer. Many a call, few can answer the bell and make an impact. Um, another thing about leadership, you don't have to tell people what you do or how you do it. They'll see it. If the work is done right and you live right, you treat people the way that you would like to be treated, you communicate with people um, as well as you can, and you be honest. Try to be as honest as you can, especially when you're dealing with someone else's child. Uh, 
Um, because I have children and I want my kids to benefit from the good work that I'm doing. And I can't get that benefit unless I'm putting out some goodness too at the same time. Well, I know you referenced a little bit your research. Do you want to talk a little bit about kind of what you what you were planning on doing? Um, and then we'll lead our listeners through a little bit of, okay. of that process and what happened. Well, the, 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 the basis of the research was to help teachers understand that communication is extremely important while in the classroom. And to get parent buy-in, you have to communicate with parents on a frequent basis. Well, the young men that I was working with, they are aspiring educators and they are great at what they do. Um, I had a mixture. I had some mathematics, language arts, uh, special education um, teachers, and then I also had a uh, social studies teacher. The dynamic is they were all male. And I did that for a reason. I wanted to also see, um, as another hindsight, how could men be a benefit not only in the classroom, but how could it affect the culture of the school? And at the conclusion of my research, I started to see the growth in them, not only about the, not only about the amount of times that they communicated with the parents, but also the language that they used and how personable they became with the parents to help them to understand that some of the difficulties that they were having in the classroom, even when those conversations were difficult, they were able to voice their opinion and not have brief conversations, but long ones, more fruitful ones. And I believe that the relationship that they have with these kids um, through the grades six through eighth is really going to benefit the school as a whole, because right now at Carver, we're really trying to change the culture to a positive one. So on the one hand, you talk about the frustrations of your leadership experience, and yet you also talk about these incredible sounding results that you've got. So one of the common experiences that fellows have, and I know it was true for me too, is that there are moments we can point to singular events or, or incidents that radically transformed our thinking and how we approach our work. So did you have such a moment in, in your journey? And if so, what was it? Oh, goodness. I have a plethora of <laughs> moments. But I will say this. Um, you know, kids tell you how they feel. And when I made the announcement, and the announcement was also made on the intercom that I had received the job, and initially I was the IB coordinator, but then I also became the MSAP coordinator. Um, the MSAP coordinator came first before the IB coordinator position, and working two jobs in one, the kids were angry. They were emotional. I had some crying. I had some slips, some notes underneath my office door. And it was hurtful for me to walk around campus and have kids who would say something to me every single day. And all of a sudden, they didn't want to talk to me. They didn't want to tell me how their day was. They didn't want to share with me what struggles they had with a specific problem, um, if they were having an issue at home, or if just daily stuff. I don't like someone today, Dr. Pauling. I'm having some issues. Well, then that gave me the opportunity to break into that circle and say, well, tell me what, about your issues. Tell me what's going on. 
And sometimes it was just about listening. So that was my aha moment. You don't know how impactful you are to kids. You have an idea, but you don't know. And kids are the sounding board for that. If kids love you, they will jump hoops for you. They'll do whatever it takes to please you. Because in my opinion, kids want to please. They want to do well. They like structure. They don't want things to be out of whack. Sometimes their life is out of whack in some way, shape, or form. So that was very, um, that was eye-opening for me. On one hand, yes, I'm taking another step in my educational leadership journey. On the other hand, I have kids that are not happy with me. But I also see these similarities in you know, your story talking about how that impacted you and what you chose to do for your research too, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like then from that pivotal moment, there was something that also changed or prompted you in thinking about what you were going to do for your research project. From having that realization about the shift that you had with the students that you used to teach in your classrooms, um, what had changed for you and what did you commit to? And what did you notice maybe that event having effect on other people? Well, you know, the, the people that you work with for a certain amount of time, they are looking at you differently now. You're closer to administration. You're making administrative decisions. You are now the face of the school. So they are uh, depending on you, just like kids would depend on you to make sure that a procedure or an ideology is carried out. And how it changed me is that now it's not about the 120 students that I serve or the kids that I shake hands with while I walk through. It's not about that. It's about the perception. It's about the perception of where your kids, and when I say your kids, I'm talking about the kids that you serve, it's the perception of how the kids are viewed at your school. Um, Carver was not always viewed positively. And still some aspects, there's a lot of uh, negativity out there that's not warranted, um, especially when it comes down to educational standards and violence uh, among students. So it, it, it's become now a situation, during my research, I wanted to change the way teachers communicated. But then it became something about, I want teachers to help with communication to change the culture of the school, mm -hmm. to formulate a positive arena where it doesn't matter who comes to the school, there's a certain way how we do things. And we're here to be change agents. We're here to change lives of kids, starting from sixth grade to eight. So it sounds like the real difference or the shift for you was in impacting individual students to to having a commitment to impacting the idea of the school as a whole. Yes, and it was a humbling one at that. Let's just say that, <laughs> Steve. It was humbling. <laughs> so that that gives me a sense of really the thinking that changed in your head. Did it impact your thinking or your life outside of school? I mean, obviously, besides the time commitment, which we know, and and I know our listeners will understand that too. But did it did it change the way that you interact in other ways too outside of your work? Yes, 
It did big time. Um, a matter of fact, um, you got to be extremely organized. And to do this position, somebody's got to trust you. Leadership has to trust you. So now it's about trust. And you knew after 18 months being in the fellowship program, you started to formulate a trust with people. You started to understand their ideology and you would compare what they went through with what you're going through. And it just was a feel good when you met those days or those months that we didn't meet. It was almost like, man, I need a plug in. I need almost like going to church. I need I need a recharge. Yeah. You know, I, I need to speak with some like minded people who could offer me criticism. But I know it's coming from a good place. It's not coming to sidetrack you or to, you know, make you go on a bended knee and submit. No, it's not. It's to help better you. And uh, through this journey, you know, as I talk to you right now, it feels good to explain the process as long as you're you're comfortable with the process and you understand it it won't overtake you it won't make you feel um, negative in any way shape or form you will start to enjoy it and understand that man this school is changing the community's perception is changing because of the work not only the teachers and the administration is doing but I'm able to relay that I'm able to get somebody to see it and it's going to take time. We still have a lot to do. Um, I'm humbled to, you know, be talking to you right now, uh, especially since I've got to explain the story and the story is never ending. Uh, just like any educator, your toolbox is always expanding. And for that reason, I'm so happy that I'm a lifelong learner. learner. I'm just enthused. So a couple of the themes that I got from that is that community is having a community to participate with and reflect with and get gain support from was really important in your journey. Um, you know, one of the other things that we can't escape from as educators is much as other people might want to make it so is that nothing that we do in a school is value neutral. Um, so has your experience through the process of being a fellow and your research work and taking on this new position, has it changed or confirmed at all your understanding of what matters for your students? Yes. I'm going to say yes. Positively, yes. The research gave me an opportunity to see the young men that I was working with, not only as co-workers, but as educators, to see them in their classroom because there were some moments where I had to go in the classroom and I wanted to see, you know, what was taking place instructionally. And the instruction that they were giving, I had no doubt that those kids were enthused and they were loving what was taking place in that classroom environment, which you can, you know, evidently see in our school grade, we went up from a D to a C. We never had been a D before. Uh, within the last nine years, we had two A's and one B. So there's a, a level of success that Carver is used to. It's about understanding your clientele. And those young men, they understood that there were some deficits. 
And those deficits had to come with, you know, some painstaking planning and understanding how am I going to communicate to you that what I have to say is extremely important and you got to get it. And you've got these eight months to get it. Well, not even eight. You and I know we start testing in January, end of January, but they moved it. But anyway, to make a long story short, the the kids uh, enjoyed the instruction. What I wanted to see was the same enjoyment spoken to when they were dealing with parents, face-to-face contact, phone calls, emails. I got a chance to see that. So now when I go in front of parents, I can say, look, we have teachers who care. You know, we're in the we're in the caring business here. We're trying to get kids moved. Now, do we tolerate things? No, we don't. And when I say we, I'm saying Carver as a staff, as an ideology. So that research gave me the chance to not only go into the classroom, but I was able to see growth. I was able to see growth in educators. And I was able to also see growth in the school and how positive it made me feel to be able to sell a program that many doubt. And those doubts I'm not going to speak about this morning. But what I can assure you is, you you know, you're selling beachfront property and there's no beachfront. (laughs) (laughs) So what about for you personally? Um, has your experience of going through the fellowship and doing your research here at the school, um, has it confirmed or made any big changes for you personally? Um, I'm going to say big changes. Um, it is a huge commitment. The, the fellowship program is a huge commitment. It is, um, it is not to be taken lightly, uh, I was not able to participate in everything that the fellowship had to offer, such as the webinars and a lot of the instructional um, opportunities that they gave for us in the evenings, because a lot of times I was meeting with parents and I was out of town. So my life changed family-wise and it changed uh, job-related. And the fellowship was just another layer to that. Did I struggle to participate when we were face-to-face? No, that was easy. The struggle became when I had to take time out of my schedule, when I knew I had certain phone calls that that had to be made, when there were emails or documentation that had to be done for the grant. And I had to choose which one I I have to do my job, The, the job is dictating that there are certain things that have to be done, which crippled me in some ways. I didn't get the full the full gist of what the grant was offering, or excuse me, not the grant, but the fellowship. I didn't get it. I didn't get everything. Um, and did that hinder me somewhat? Uh, yes and no. I could have professionally dealt with individuals, still possibly sacrificed, got on there, talked to 
um, got the help or the extended work that I needed to complete some things. But on the back end, my job is time sensitive. So it's just a hard, it's a hard pill to swallow. I love the fellowship. I love the people that were there. It was an excellent experience. I got to deal with some of the best educators in this state, 40 of them. But as time went on and as my job changed and as the pressures of my job changed, I could feel that I was starting to wean away. It was just a matter of me now completing the fellowship and doing the things that were asked of me. So I think a lot of people would say that that tension, I mean, I, th I think a lot of teachers experience that tension, right? I, that comes with the job. I mean, we've got jobs that could require 48 hours a day and there aren't even that many hours, not even right? Day, no. right? Um, so I think the, the experience that you describe is gonna be very common for our listeners. Right. Talk about how you managed that tension and how you made decisions about how to commit to your leadership journey and while maintaining the work that you had to do and because it sounds like you still got a lot out of the process even if it, even if you had to make some of those choices um you know when it comes down to money <laughs> when it comes down to finances you know what you have to do it's just a matter of being organized and getting it done and that fellowship program gave you an opportunity to reach out to other professionals if you needed help. And I thought that was excellent. Um, Rebecca. To clarify, Rebecca is one of the, the <laughs> Lassinger Center staff members who was running the fellowship. Continue. <laughs> and if Rebecca is listening to this, and I know she probably will get an opportunity to listen to this, um, she was an excellent sounding board and Pete who was also an instructor in the fellowship program those two guys gave me the opportunity to be humble to rise and to understand when what my good is not good enough just to understand that and uh, there were plenty of times where I got off the phone with them and I just said, you know what, I cannot stand <laughs> being told no. I, well, the, the, the no wasn't a negative no. It's like, look, this is not going to work. It's not going to work. Yeah. I'm like, man, can you feel my, my pain? I said, well, you know, the, with you guys, I'm not going to give up on this program. I feel that the program is just so much more important. And we had individuals that had other job opportunities and they decided, look, this is was going to be too much. I thought I could do it. And for the most part, I did um, and grew within the process. This program is humbling. You know, I want to share with you, Daryl, and I know this is your podcast episode, um, and I'm gonna—I was gonna talk about this in in my podcast episode um, that I'm going to record, but you know that process. Um, I had a moment when you gave me some feedback too in one of our regional meetings, and I think it's inherent to to the experience. Right. And so when you listen to my podcast episode, you'll get to hear a little bit about that too. Um, 
but I think it speaks to the, because you addressed this before, the role that community really plays in sustaining us as right. as educator leaders. Right. So last, last thought that we'd like to leave our listeners with. Um, if you had to give a call to action for the listeners of our podcast series, based on your experience in the fellowship and doing your research and as a teacher leader, what would that call to action be? Equity and access. Equity and access. Just, you know, ensuring that it doesn't matter who the child is, give them the opportunity to learn. Give them every opportunity to have an aha moment. Every child that is born on this earth deserves the opportunity to say, I understand. Or I feel good about myself today because I finally got something. And I know there are certain words in education, we call them quote unquote a, a dirty word or a word that can make somebody feel bad, but um, equity and access would be it. Well, Daryl. I got to say, I appreciate, as always, the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for our very first podcast episode. It has been a pleasure. <laughs>